They're going through. Uh, are they going through security? Hey, Matt. Okay. okay. I think Mark's going first, so I'll hand it over to him. Are we supposed to come up here and speak? Okay, if everybody can have a seat, I think we'll get started. Gretchen, everybody's here that we need. Thanks, so? Okay.
Okay, welcome everybody. Uh, this is going to be our transportation workshop. And during the last workshop on the surtax, uh, many commissioners asked for information about emerging technologies and generally wanted to be educated about transportation, transportation systems. Uh, staff has compiled a summary of all the comments and questions originating from that discussion. And today we're going to have our partners from FDOT in various fields, that, and we'll have a dialogue on some of those questions. But I want to take this opportunity first to give a special thank you to Secretary O'Reilly. Uh, his staff leads on this project. Um, and uh, Amy Godot, is it Amy? There's Amy over there. And also to Kalila French. Kalila? <laughs> over there. Everything good. Hold your name tag. That's a big name tag. It's a big name tag. Uh, and, and of course, we're appreciative of all the consultants. Um, why don't we go around real quick, introductions, and then we can get started. Uh, I'm Beam Furr, mayor of the county, and we'll start over here. Mark Bogan, Broward County Commissioner. Michael, Michael Udine, County Commissioner, District 3. Nan Rich, County Commissioner, District 1. Chip Lamarca, uh, Commissioner, District 4, which is your coast. Dale Holness, Broward County Commission, District 9, the heart of Broward. <laughs> Stacy Miller, Florida Department of Transportation, Director of Transportation Development. Amy Gatto, Florida Department of Transportation, Office of Mobile Development Administrator. Gretchen Cassini, County Administration. Bertha Henry, County Administrator. Jerry O'Reilly, District 4 Secretary. Drew Myers, County Attorney. Bob Melton, County Auditor. Tim Crowbonds with uh, Kinetics Transportation Group. There's a little, see a little face on the thing there. If you push that, the, it turns red right here. Yeah, there you go. And then, you're, then you're good to go. And then after you finish talking, turn it back off. <laughs> you got it. Are you done talking? Yeah. <laughs> Mark Plass, Florida Department of Transportation, Traffic Operations. Okay. David Schmidt, consultant with the DOT. And Jeff Stiles with Trans Systems, also a consultant with the DOT. Okay. Tim Ryan, District 7 County Commissioner, and I serve with your um, FDOT Secretary Jerry O'Reilly on SFRTA and along with a couple of my other colleagues on the Broward MPO. Barbara Sharif, Broward County Commissioner for District 8 and I also serve on the MPO. Steve Geller, Broward County Commissioner District 5 which is parts of West Broward. Okay and our presenters today are going to be Jeff Stiles. Uh, he's a market sector leader with and passenger rail and transit from Trans Systems. We're gonna have David Schmidt, Director. Uh, travel Modeling and Analytics from Kinetics. And Tim Crobans. Crobans? Am I saying that right? Crobans. Principal also from Kinetics. And just a little bit of uh, ground rules here. From my understanding, and Jerry, maybe you can help me on this, there's a draft RFP out again for the WAVE. Correct. And, the, and part of our selection committee is here. Is that correct? Is that... Or part of the yes, okay. Yeah. okay. So I guess I need to. Know, we're trying to set the boundaries of what we can talk about, what we can't. Um, I think we can talk all around the wave, kind of, with a lot of the parts that we're wanting to deal with. But I think we may have to keep off that. Is that? And and I, let me ask our county attorney on this. I have an alternative suggestion. Okay. Well, let let me hear from county attorney first, then I'll I'll hear from you. I, I don't know how this was noticed, perhaps, for members of the selection committee, 
nor have I seen the procurement document to know whether there's a cone in place or, or other specific restrictions. Uh, unless we know we're in the clear, uh, then to avoid an inadvertent sunshine violation, I think we should steer clear. Okay, so you'll help us out on that, yes. correct? Um, Commissioner Geller. At the last time we got together to discuss transportation, we were told that because there were two members of the selection committee in the room, we couldn't discuss the wave. We couldn't do it at that time. We can't do it at this time. I have a much simpler suggestion. I would ask that one of, if there are two members of the selection committee, three, let, three, let two of them leave while we, if they're, we can have a, a brief discussion on the wave, but to suggest that all of us not be able to discuss the wave because there's three people here on that selection committee, which is what we did last time, is not something I think we should do. I think at some point in time we need to discuss this. We can simply resolve it by asking two members to briefly leave the room during that time. And I think if we do that, we should specify, all right, we're going to start talking at wave now. Two of you can leave. And ten minutes, now we're back, and they can come back. Tony, Attorney? I mean, technically you're not supposed to absent yourself from a meeting when you're otherwise present. Uh, that probably would avoid a sunshine issue, but we'd have to be careful uh, to not be accused of, of circumventing sunshine through. So we'll, we'll try and monitor it and make sure. But ultimately, I don't represent the folks on that uh, evaluation or selection committee. I don't know if you have counsel in the room because I, I don't like to right. advise them of their rights. With that, let's just, let's, we're, we're going to go ahead and start the presentation. If, if you think that we are running afoul, let us know. Okay. Um, we are going to start with Jeff Stiles, I guess. Actually, Mark Glass. Mark, I'll, I'll be talking about transportation up. system management and operation and oh, autonomous vehicles. So, um, First off, thank you for having me here today. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to be talking about three basic topics. One is the concept of transportation system management and operations. The second is the concept of active arterial management, which is something that the department has been partnering with Broward County to begin doing here in the county through the signal system. And the third is an overview of, of autonomous vehicles, the technology, where it's headed, and some recommendations for the county to consider to be able to prepare itself to be a successful platform for the autonomous vehicle. Uh, phase in transportation in this country. So to start off with, the first slide here gives a general definition of what transportation system management and operation is. It's not a thing, it's a philosophy. And it's a philosophy that's based on the idea that if you have a network and you're in a situation where it's increasingly infeasible to add physical capacity to the network, and in this case the network would be the roadway system, the interstate system, the arterial system, if it becomes increasingly infeasible to add physical capacity because of cost and other factors, it becomes increasingly important to manage and operate the network as effectively as possible. And so what transportation system management and operation really is, is it's an attempt to manage a transportation system through things like traffic signal control and other technologies to be able to provide reliable travel times, minimize delay for all users of the network. So this isn't just daily commuters and cars, it's transit vehicles, it's pedestrians, it's bicyclists, it's freight and good movers. So in a nutshell, that's what transportation system management and operation is. One of the key strategies that we've been implementing in Broward County is through the traffic signal system in Broward County. And we call that active arterial management. Now, by active, what we mean is we want to be in a position 
to be able to monitor what's going on on the arterial system, to be able to recognize when there's a malfunction, when there's an incident that's, uh, that's limiting uh, the operation of the roadway system, and be able to then make uh, traffic control changes through the traffic signal system, to be able to reestablish mobility within the system. Uh, the concept of active operation is based on something that the department has been doing for probably the last 15 years through the Broward Traffic Management Center. Uh, this is a facility that's um, jointly occupied by the department and the county. It's on Commercial Boulevard. The system was, or the facility was set in place initially to support the freeway management component of the department's um, program. And what that, pro what that program is really based on is this idea of monitoring, reacting, minimizing delay, maximizing reliability. It was initially implemented on the freeway system, and what we've been doing in partnership with Broward County is expanding this to include the arterial system as well. Select arterials initially, we would propose to expand the system to include more arterials. Um, one thing to consider here is the impact that the arterial system has on uh, people in Broward County. The average commuter encounters between 40 and 50 traffic signals a day. And so the more effectively the signals are operated locally and in coordination, the more mobility we have the less um, unnecessary delay and the more reliability we have in the system. So the key approach to this is signal timing and how the signals are operated. And we're trying to find a balance with our partner, the county, balancing local signal needs, trying to minimize delay locally, trying to address delay to side street traffic, which has to be considered, and at the same time trying to maximize coordination so that drivers are able to, to traverse the arterial system through one signal after another without having to stop. This affects drivers, it affects buses, it affects trucks. The more we can coordinate the signals, the more we can minimize local delay through better operation, the better off we're going to be. We've expanded this philosophy in our current um, active arterial management program with the county to include event management. There's lots of special planned events in the county here that generate a lot of traffic. Uh, many of them are beach related, and we want to be in a position through the traffic management center and the signal system with the county to be able to implement special signal timing plans to minimize the impact that these events have on traffic. We're also looking at disseminating traveler information through this system, and I'll give you a description of the system in a moment here in the components, but one of the components is uh, dynamic message signs that we're installing on the arterial system to advise motorists in the vicinity of what's going on with the traffic, anticipated delays, potential detour routes, and travel times. One of the key features of this program is to try to maximize travel time reliability so the system is predictable. If I'm going from point A to point B on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, my travel time should be as similar as possible. That's a function of a well-managed system. The last point to make on this slide is the concept of context-sensitive traffic control. Um, there was a time when we looked at an arterial and all we saw was commuter traffic in the morning peak going one way and the afternoon peak going another way. What we're now more interested in is to be able to take advantage of the sophistication of the signal system Broward County has to be able to provide traffic control strategies that reflect different user needs at different times. So for example, 17th Street, certain times of the day, days of the week, a lot of commuter traffic, a lot of traffic in cars going to and from the beaches. Other times of the day, days of the week, a lot of pedestrians. And so we want to be able to tailor the timing plans and the strategies to address different user groups at times that they need to be addressed. It's not a one-size-fits-all traffic control philosophy anymore. It's about different users and their needs and trying to uh, facilitate their mobility. So this is a map that shows what the department 
in partnership with Broward County is doing. So you see uh, roadways that are in, I guess that's orange. I'm a little bit colorblind here, but uh, the orange roadways are the arterials that we have deployed the initial active arterial management system in Broward County. And that system comprises essentially of four components. The fiber optic communications backbone, we've got traffic signal controllers at the intersections, those are maintained by the county. We've got dynamic message signs and cameras that allow us to monitor the roadway in real time from the traffic management center. And we have traffic data collection devices that are bringing back in real time data on volume, speed, classification of the traffic stream that allows us to understand how the system is performing and allows us to modify our control strategies to optimize the performance on a given arterial and in the network. So we have about 72 miles, this would be centerline miles of arterial currently under the active arterial management control. Um, we have about another 50 miles or so currently planned. We would like to expand the system because of the success we've had with Broward County in, in operating the system and uh, the benefits that we're currently seeing from that. So ultimately what our vision would be is that on arterials that carry high volumes of traffic that have high signal density, large transit use, we would like to be able to actively monitor these roadways uh, certain hours of the day, days of the week, to be able to make sure that the signals are operating correctly and optimally, to be able to react to events. These could be crashes, these could be planned events, these could be things that require a detour of traffic, for example, off of I-95 on an arterial, and to be able to maintain the level of uh, reliable mobility. So it is a partnership. Uh, let me go to the next, I'm sorry. So active arterial management in Broward County has been and will continue to be a partnership with uh, the department in Broward County. Um, the Department of Transportation maintains the infrastructure that's been deployed on the arterials I noted in the previous slide. We maintain the fiber optic, we maintain the dynamic message signs, the data collection equipment, the cameras. The county maintains the traffic signal equipment at the intersections. So it's a partnership in that regard. The county also works collaboratively with the department to make signal timing changes. The more we monitor the system, the more we're able to adjust the timing to the needs, the increasingly proactive we can be in making timing changes before they're needed in response to things that, that we know are going to happen. So. Um, DOT, in addition to maintaining the infrastructure, we are also monitoring these arterials from the Traffic Management Center I noted earlier. We have staff in the Traffic Management Center that works closely with Broward County staff there. We are monitoring through the cameras, through the data collection devices, traffic conditions on these arterials. When we note anomalies, when we are uh, aware of events, things that require special timing, we work with Broward County traffic engineering staff to develop and implement the timing plans through the signal system. We'd like to do more of this. The more of this we can do, the more reliable, more of the system becomes, the less unnecessary delay there is for all users of the system, buses, pedestrians, bicyclists, cars, trucks. Um, I note here in the fourth bullet an estimate roughly of the, um, the benefits per month that we're experiencing right now. Uh, we're able to monetize these benefits on the basis of estimates of reduced delay to motorists on the arterials that we're actively managing based on the signal timing changes that we're making in collaboration with the county. And so based on a monetary value of delay, we note the source that we got that from. Um, it's th that there are slightly different opinions on what the value of time should be when you're considering traffic flow and delay reductions. We think this is a pretty reasonable source. And what we found is that the system currently is cost beneficial. 
And this is, on, this is on the basis of a relatively small network that's being operated and a, a, a relatively small number of timing changes that we've been implementing. The more we work with the county, the more we can, we, can, we can make timing changes, the more special timing plans and so on we can make, the benefit's going to increase. Uh, and so we see that this is, this is the start of this program is already cost beneficial, and we're very optimistic that because of our partnership with the county and their expertise in signal timing, that we'll be able to increase this benefit significantly. So it is an evolving collaboration between the department and the county to more effectively operate the system over time, to upgrade the system's infrastructure to facilitate this operation. So next steps. Um, we have a couple here that we, we, we want to we highlight. One is that we'd like to expand the system. We think that it makes sense uh, within reason to expand this system. And when I say reason, what I'm, what I'm really meaning is we have to work with the county, we have to work with local government to understand what are the segments of the transportation network that, that really would benefit from active operation. Not all will, some will quite a bit. And so what we're interested in is expanding the system where it makes sense to do so. Uh, so this means more infrastructure, the fiber optic, uh, which, which, which is going to benefit not only the active management, but it's going to benefit the signals themselves because it's going to modernize the communications network that the signals are operating under. Um, we want to continue deploying data collection devices to tell us more about the system. The more we know in real time about the system, the better we can operate it with the county and the better the results are going to be for all system users. Um, we'd also like to... Um, eventually integrate uh, this, the, what we call connected vehicle technology into this system. And uh, one of the topics I'm going to talk about in a couple of minutes has to do with autonomous vehicles, which is very forward-looking, and I think it's good that the county's interested in this. This is another forward-looking technology that's actually more here today than autonomous vehicles. Basically what connected vehicles means is that the car is able to speak with the infrastructure that's controlling the traffic. And so what you see there is a graphical depiction of, of a situation where you have pedestrians that are in the crosswalk and the device that's controlling the signals is telling the buses that there's a pedestrian in the crosswalk. And these devices are becoming increasingly prevalent in the traffic control industry. They're going to be, they will be increasingly supported by um, the vehicle fleet in this country. So the, the earlier that Broward County can become not a test bed, but an actual implementation for practical use bed of this technology, the better. And this, this is particularly important when you consider things like Vision Zero and the county's increasing interest in pedestrian and bicycle safety. Systems like this that can provide notification to motorists of when there is a potential hazard or conflict are very important. These are all things that can be relatively easily integrated into the signal system itself. Okay, the next concept that we... Um, we want to suggest as a next step is what's called integrated corridor management. And the Broward County MPO received a Federal Highway Administration grant a couple of years ago to develop what's known as a concept of operations for how to manage an integrated system of roadways. So when, when, when I would describe an integrated corridor, you could imagine something that would include I-95 and then let's say State Road 7 to the west and US 1 to the east. How do you manage these in an integrated way to facilitate, in that case, north-south traffic flow? We have a network of roadways that can be defined in different integrated networks. The more we can integrate our management of the interstate with the arterials, with the local network, the better off we're going to be. 
because what we want ultimately is if we have situations where traffic has to divert, let's say from I-95 because of a crash and it comes down onto the arterial system, we want to continue to manage that traffic to make it as, as move as reliably as possible. We do not want situations where I get off of I-95 only to join another parking lot on the arterial. So integrated corridor management is a concept that's being implemented in, in, a, in a number of cities in this country. And we were, uh, the, the county was foresightful enough to recognize the importance of this. We have, a, we have a complex transportation system here in the county. The better we can integrate it, the better. The more we can integrate it, the better. So what we're proposing here is that we develop a strategic plan to guide investment in the technologies and the protocols we're going to need to integrate these corridors. This plan would be based on the concept of operations that the MPO has been partnering with the department, Broward County, with to uh, develop. So it's, it's a logical next step to do this. So it's effectively knitting together even further the different transportation uh, facilities that we have. So just a couple of examples I'll run through quickly. Active arterial management is used in a lot of cities, and so this is an example of the city of New York. Um, I won't go into all the details here, but uh, to put things in perspective, Broward County has about 1,700 signalized intersections. Miami-Dade County is about 4,500. New York is 12,000. And what New York is doing, largely in the Manhattan area, that's, about, that's the, the reference to the 650 intersections, is they've implemented much more sophisticated traffic control and monitoring. And they're using that system to not only better move traffic in all modes, but to generate data that helps them understand traffic patterns and helps them plan better for the future in that. So New York City certainly is, is one of several leaders in the area of active arterial management in this country. So the next slide goes into a little bit more detail of what they're doing there, and it shows some of the side benefits here. They, they've been able to, through the more sophisticated control and monitoring, they've been able to enhance the transit performance on the arterial system there. They're able to better manage their parking. Uh, they're able to better understand pedestrian movements and time signals to move pedestrians better. So higher level of control, more data coming in, better understanding of the system. This has been a relatively low-cost project. All of these things are relatively low-cost and pretty high benefit-cost ratio based on the outcomes in terms of delay and reliability. The other city that we wanted to focus on is Copenhagen. Uh, it's not as big as New York City. It has an interesting mix of traffic issues. It does have traffic congestion. It has large numbers of pedestrians and bicyclists. They, too, have done the same thing that New York City has done. They've implemented a, a very advanced traffic control system. The one common denominator between what we're talking about in Broward and what you see in New York City and Copenhagen is the signal system. That becomes the platform upon which you can generate increasing value that leads to mobility. And so in Copenhagen, the focus really has been on data collection through the system and understanding how do I control the system at different times of the day based on demand, based on user needs, and so on. So. Um, the first part of this presentation, again, was, in general, what is transportation system management and operation? It's operating a network as efficiently as possible to achieve outcomes that are important to the users of the network. Mobility, reliability, minimal delay. Uh, the second part so far has been active arterial management, which is a strategy that we partnered with Broward County for a number of years to do. We'd like to continue to do this. It consists of some infrastructure, and it consists of an operational partnership that allows us to leverage uh, what the signal system software and other technology can do. So the next part of the presentation I'd like to move into here is autonomous vehicles. Uh, this, is, this is a subject 
I would guess if you Google the phrase autonomous vehicles, it's got to be one of the, the most searched after terms there is now. And so uh, it's important, though, that we talk about this, and I think that it's very good the county is thinking ahead on this uh, because they're coming. It's just not quite sure when. So, and I'll get to that in a second here. So this slide really shows the six levels of autonomy, if you will, uh, level zero meaning none, up to level five, which is the driver isn't really doing anything in the car except sitting there. Uh, we're starting to see level three now. Uh, level three autonomy basically means that under certain circumstances, the car can take control of things and the driver doesn't have to be in control. Uh, you don't get to a point where you don't need a steering wheel in the car until you get to level five. And as we'll see in the next slide here, that's, that's potentially a way off down the road. So the reason I have that slide, and, and I guess the takeaway from that slide is uh, you look at the time frames here. And so when people talk about autonomous vehicles and the adoption of autonomous vehicles, generally what they're talking about is that level four or level five technology, not what we see today. Pretty much most people in this room have a car that has autonomous features in it. Anti-lock brakes are considered autonomous. You've got collision avoidance systems. You've got backup cameras in your car that'll tell you when you're going to hit something. All of that really falls under the broad umbrella of autonomous vehicles. So the technology is slowly getting integrated into vehicles, but at the point, but the point at which a large percentage, 60, 70, 80 percent of the traffic stream in this country is level four or level five autonomous, meaning very autonomous, that's, that, that's a real head scratcher. And in fact, if you look at the literature, there's optimistic projections that'll say it'll be sometime in the next 10 years. There's other projections that'll say it'll be in the next 40 years. Um, right now, there's, there's five things, I think, to consider on this. One is the timeline is really uncertain. Second is that right now, based on surveys that have been done by companies like J.D. Powers, where they take a look at consumer preferences, what they're finding is that there's a lot of distrust of autonomous vehicles in various age groups. People are not really convinced that this is something they want to buy. That may well change, but the implication is, is that the auto industry is going to look at that and they're going to make decisions based on what they think the customers want. They're going to decide to either make or not make investments. The auto industry is notoriously slow at implementing innovation. Uh, it's just its nature. Another consideration is liability. Uh, you've got issues here. You've already seen some of the issues with uh, the, uh, the Tesla autonomous crashes that have occurred. Who's liable? The driver, the software vendor. You have the software in the car that's making decisions about, you know, what to do, how to react to its environment. A lot of unknowns with respect to that. Another consideration here is hacking. These cars and cars in general in this country, because of the amount of software they have in them now, are increasingly hackable. So meaning people can remotely access the software that controls different systems in the car, and they can take control of different aspects of the car. This is a consideration in this which is probably going to delay rollout of, uh, of uh, a high degree of autonomy. And the last thing here, and I think this is really interesting, is that there really are, uh, there, there, there's no consensus on the, what the actual benefit will be from autonomous vehicles. Some people believe that if you have enough autonomous vehicles in, the, in the, the, the traffic stream, you might need fewer lanes on, let's say, I-95, because these vehicles can drive so close together that they don't need as much physical capacity to move a certain number of vehicles. So it's a bit like a NASCAR race when everyone's about two inches apart from each other. All these cars go through faster in less time, and they're, they're 
closer together. Uh, so that would be the optimistic view, that if we had enough autonomous vehicles, we wouldn't need as much pavement. Um, but then there's another view that says there's a lot of people that kind of don't want to drive when they reach a certain age, but now if the vehicle drives itself, I think I'll drive. And so there's another school of thought that says what you might find out is actually more people are driving and there's more cars on the road than there used to be. So I guess my point in all of this is that there's a lot of uncertainty, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be planning for this because it is inevitable that on some level you're going to see autonomous vehicles. And so, well, I'll come to that slide in a minute. Um, if you were to ask a range of people what should a DOT do or what should a county do or what are they doing now with respect to autonomous vehicles, what you would see generally is what you see on this slide. And so this is, this is a very sketchy overview of what's going on uh, in the state of Florida with respect to autonomous vehicles. We have a couple of pilot projects. We have some research projects. These are very, very specific to specific technologies in specific types of vehicles and situations. None of the, these are these are very uh, academic in nature. These these are not things that are going to be applied on a broad scale anytime soon. What it means is is that the Department of Transportation and academia, together with certain people in the autonomous vehicle industry, have an interest in testing things and assessing things. But but to say that there is a clear direction in the state of Florida in terms of um, how it's going to be implemented and pilot projects and research, I think it's too early to say that. But I think there are some things that we can do here, and I think that this this gets back to why I think it's, it, it is a good idea that the county is thinking about this. So these are some recommendations. I think the county should develop an autonomous mobility strategic plan. We need to get experts together that understand experts in the consulting world, in the autonomous vehicle industry, and say, this is a transportation system we have in Broward County. How can we position ourselves to be a destination for autonomous vehicles? New York City has a, has, has a similar plan uh, in progress now, and so they've, they've, they've thought about this too. So the second bullet, I think, speaks to where it really does make sense to have a plan like this, and that is, although it's unclear when autonomous vehicles are going to be prevalent in the, in the, in the, the traffic stream, what is increasingly clear is there's going to be early adopters of autonomous technology, taxis, buses, shuttle services, we're starting to see this now. Um, Uber, Tesla, Google, General Motors all have an interest in autonomous taxis. They're all making investments in this. And so part of this plan should really take a look at, given the nature of the county, the tourist industry, the port, the airport, the taxi population we have here, how, how can we, how should we position ourselves to be able to be attractive to that industry moving in here and beginning to deploy autonomous taxis, shuttle buses, and so on. Um, I think another thing to consider is to begin to partner with major activity centers that could take advantage of autonomous shuttles. I live near Sawgrass Mills, very large activity center, broad, widespread parking around it. One could certainly envision a system of autonomous shuttles that are connecting the mall to the parking facilities. There probably are other activity centers and in the long term might have an interest in this. Um, the last point to stress on this, I think, is that we have within um, the field or the, within the transportation system management and operations concept and as it's applied to arterial control and ultimately to things like autonomous vehicles and connected vehicles, we have a need for technicians. We have a need for a trained workforce that can support this. Uh, all of these industries are very, very specialized. 
uh, from the traffic control industry to autonomous vehicles. And I think if we can put ourselves in a position by partnering with the educational system that we have in the county and industry to consider putting together, for example, certification programs that students could go through to become certified traffic signal technicians, certified in uh, repairing and maintaining the fiber optic systems and the fiber optic control devices that we have. Something like that is going to make what we have here increasingly sustainable and I think will have a benefit certainly to the education system and to the workforce here. So that's the end of my presentation. Thank you for Thank you very much, Mark. attention. That I'm sure it's going to generate a lot of questions. So let's start with Commissioner Geller, then to Commissioner Ryan, and then Commissioner Bogan. Vice Mayor Bogan. You ready? Yeah. Good. Thank you. Um, one quick comment, well, two quick comments. First, so do I correctly understand you that if uh, this was on page, I think, two, that if we are successful in active arterial management uh, at the conclusion that that could improve traffic by up to 10%. That's the number that you would be hopeful for? Oh, I, I would say that that's probably, uh, probably conservative based on what we've seen around the country. It's oftentimes much higher than that. Okay. And the second issue I have is, and that I'm done, is comment on you're comparing um, New York and Copenhagen um, to, you know, what we may be doing. And I was in Copenhagen this summer, wonderful city, but I think that Copenhagen and New York may not be good examples for us to do for two reasons. Number one, they're both real cities, uh, what, by which I mean they were built prior to the advent of the internal combustion engine, where every where you had more mixed use, everybody living and working in the same area, as opposed to virtually all of Florida, except for maybe St. Augustine or Pensacola, Key West. Um, that's all suburbs. So for that reason, I'm not sure that those are the ones we should be looking to. And the second reason is weather. Again, in Copenhagen, when I was there, everybody, I was uh, Copenhagen, I was in most of the Nordic capitals. Um, everybody was biking, but that's because in the summer, it was in the mid-60s. And we're Florida, where we have 11 and a half months of summer, so again, I'd prefer to see comparisons to California. I'd prefer to see comparisons to other cities that have grown up or other metro areas that are not the traditional cities and that have somewhat comparable weather because I just don't think that any comparison to Copenhagen or New York would be an accurate one. Commissioner Ryan. You covered a lot of material in 15 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, okay. you know, I was amazed that you uh, were hardly looking at your notes. So, job well done. And and I've met you before, so I was kind of ready for this kind of a presentation because we <laughs> we met uh, along with Scott Bruner and we talked about incident management, how you handle crashes, and how much that delays uh, traffic movement. Uh, first, on the autonomous vehicles, uh, an optimistic projection, and I've read this, would be 10 years that you'd have some autonomous vehicles on the road. But in reality, um, with the, the hundreds of thousands of vehicles that are moving every day in Broward County, I mean, we're not really going to see that for 20 or 30 years uh, in the volume that I think would, 
would would significantly reduce traffic congestion. And in that time frame, we have uh, projections of very large population increases. So I, I, I agree with you that we should do some kind of a, a study on autonomous vehicles. You projected or you estimated it would be about $500,000. Uh, perhaps to you, uh, Secretary O'Reilly, would that be something that Broward County would partner with FDOT in, in uh, having such a study? We'd be definitely willing to put up money towards the study, but we would want partners. Uh, are you thinking, well, you, you have, you include in District 4, you include Palm Beach County. Are you, so you're thinking Broward County and Palm Beach County? Yeah, or maybe the MPO as well. Right. It's just dependent. But, but once we're all working together towards the same aim, we would definitely put up money towards it. So, I mean, at the same time that we would do such a study, uh, we need to really focus, I think, on, on traffic management, what we're currently experiencing every day. Um, and I hear from constituents all the time that as sophisticated as our uh, signalization is in Broward County, we continue to have uh, breakdowns. And for many, many reasons, uh, I don't know if that's what you were referring to when you're talking about anomalies, but uh, the timing gets out of, out of sequence. And I suppose you are seeing it real time with regard to these arterial roadways. Um, what's happening on the roadways um, that you are not, and I've been in your, you know, your big traffic, uh, uh, what do you call that facility where you have about traffic management center, about 150 screens where you're watching right. roadways, uh, but you're not watching all, all the roadways. So how are we, uh, dealing with, um, signalization and, and, um, incident management on those other roadways? Well, the other, all of, all of the system uh, in, in Broward County runs off of a common software platform. And so data on the status of the devices, meaning the traffic controllers in, in particular, and the system communication is sent back to the traffic management center. Uh, and it can be reviewed and you could determine is there an anomaly on a road that we're not actively monitoring. And so we've been working with Broward County Traffic to develop protocols that will allow us to, to, to increase the amount of, if you will, virtual monitoring of roads that we're doing, even though we don't have cameras and the data collection devices, we can monitor them through the signal system. And so this is a way that we can, in the, in the interim, before we can actively manage and monitor these things, we can improve our reaction time to things that have gone wrong, whether it be a malfunction, whether it be some anomaly in the traffic, and that sort of thing. So we understand that there's a whole rest of the county that wasn't shown in that map as having actively managed corridors that still needs to be managed. And this is something we, we are going to continue to work with the county to do within the context of the existing software until we can actively manage those corridors. Well, the, the arterial roadways that you're focusing on right now, I, I recognize those. I think 441 and Howdell Beach Boulevard mm -hmm. um, and um, Oakland Park Boulevard. I mean, those are really, really heavy um, roadways. Uh, so when you have, um, when you have crashes, uh, you have a system on I-95 that is really, really like so proactive that, uh, you know, you move these accidents off the roadway as quickly as possible. Uh, you can still do a little bit better, but on the arterial roadways, you're now, you're, you're now, um, moving in that direction. But, uh, how close have you gotten to uh, the degree of, of sophistication and, and uh, responsiveness that you have on I-85? I think that on the arterials that we're actively monitoring, uh, we're able to detect a crash, a lane blocking event, is what we would call it, as fast as we do on the interstate. Um, and 
We can then contact uh, the local law enforcement agency who in turn contacts whatever towing company they have a contract with to go out and do whatever needs to be done. So we can do that part fast. But what we want to do and what we're, we're going to be developing a pilot project on, and elbow me if I say something wrong here, is uh, to take the road rangers, these are the, uh, the, uh, the wreckers that we have, let's say on I-95 that are circulating around. What we'd like to do is to apply a similar concept on some of the arterials. And we would have road rangers basically circulating at certain times of the day when the arterials are more likely to have crashes. This comes from the data that we get on crashes, so we can be, we, we're thinking smart, not hard with this. And what, what the, the role that they would play would be more of MOT support for law enforcement. Uh, local cities, again, tend to have their own contracts with the, the towers. We don't want to interfere with that. But if we can have a service patrol vehicle relieve a law enforcement officer who's tired of doing maintenance of traffic that actually has a maintenance of traffic set on the truck, arrow boards, cones, and all that stuff, that helps. And that, along with then working with the county to as quickly as possible modify the signal timing, is going to reduce the impact. Thank you. Uh, before going further, I do want to recognize Greg Stewart with the MPO and Chair of the MPO, uh, Dick Blattner. I, I saw you guys came in. I want to go to Vice Mayor Bogan and then to Commissioner Eugene. Thank you. I just want to have a few questions if I can real sure. quickly. Um, how far north does the active arterial management system go right now in Broward County? It goes as far north as Commercial Boulevard. And what kind of cost would be required if you went all the way to the border of Broward north? On all the major arterials, I would say we, we've invested now about what is it, 20? Yeah, so we've invested about $30 million so far on the infrastructure on, this, on the roadways you saw on the map. I would say it'd probably be roughly that to expand it north to the county line, to the Palm Beach County line on the major arterials. And is the reason you're not expanding it, uh, is it lack of funds or is it that you don't have the approval from Broward? What, what would you need to do to expand that? You want me to talk about that? <laughs> <clears throat> so we're working closely with, with money at the, the MPO, <laughs> and people have to come to the realization that actively managing your system is more important than some other things, and you have to prioritize those projects to a higher priority level through the MPO and through different systems, which some of which has been done already, and that's how we got the system we have. But, but um, the DOT just doesn't decide which projects we'll do. It's through the priorities of the MPO. So I think working with the MPO on, on prioritizing that as a, as a need, and, and then we were happy to obviously do it and spend the money there. Has the MPO prioritized the autonomous vehicle studies? They have not. Okay. So the autonomous vehicle study is seen more as a planning type study. And planning type studies, DOT does or the MPO does, we work together and decide who's going to take the lead. And so they've been done okay. both ways. Um, all right. Thank you. Uh, another question I wanted to ask you is, uh, um, you, you said that there's a $224,000 per month savings. How is that calculated? Well, we're able to actually, you know, Melissa, do you want to answer that? You're more technically. Sure. So uh, each month we actually generate a dashboard that um, summarizes all of the active arterial management strategies we implemented that month with Broward County Traffic Engineering Division. So we, we report um, tons of information about 
how many incidents we, we monitored, how many incidents we actually intervened in, because not every incident requires a signal timing change. Um, so we, we report on that. Um, and so that we came up with that benefit based on um, the delay savings that we're providing to the drivers. Mostly we're just focusing on people in their cars. We don't have enough information yet on um, our impacts to the transit lines. Um, so right now we, we estimate approximately how many um, time how many seconds are saved per vehicle with a signal timing change, and that translates to a dollar amount based on the value of time that, uh, factor that we have um, from te the Texas Transportation Institute. So this is a time savings rather than we're saving gas X dollars. We do or factor that in, yes, yes. So what factors are in the time, gas, anything uh, else? Emissions, fuel consumption, and safety benefits. But the, but the number that we quoted is, is only the delay savings. There are other savings that are not reflected in that number. Okay. Great, thank you. Um, last uh, but not least, I, you know, I agree with the uh, comments made by Commissioner Geller and Ryan. Um, I didn't understand also the comparison to Copenhagen, which has a great rail system. We don't. Um, I've never. I've been also to Copenhagen, and they don't seem to have a, a problem at all with their traffic uh, issues that we have here. So I didn't understand the comparison. Yeah. Uh, is it just? Well, I didn't articulate it very clearly. It really wasn't meant to compare, as it was to show examples of how the concept of active arterial management is being implemented in cities that, for better or worse, are seen, I guess, as models of this. And so the takeaway from the Copenhagen deployment really is, is that they've generated a tremendous amount of value that adds to their mobility through the data collection system they've put. They collect a huge amount of data on what's going on in the system. That's a component of active arterial management. The takeaway from New York is, is that they have a very sophisticated form of traffic signal control in Manhattan, basically, at this point, with cameras to monitor and data collection. So it's not that we're saying we're like them, but what they're doing in those cities are components of a successful active arterial management program that we're already starting to do here and should do more of. Thank you. Commissioner Udine. Um, excellent presentation. I like the autonomous vehicle part, but one follow-up for uh, what, what Vice Mayor Bogan had mentioned. I had thought on slide number four it might have been a misprint the way that it was printed out because how do you do active management of the Broward County roadways and stop at Oakland Park Boulevard and nothing more to the north? It just seems to me that um, it's a whole huge part of the county that's not being maximized if there is that kind of increase in what would go on traffic-wise there. Oh, absolutely. And the, um, the map that we're showing really shows, if you will, phase one of our active uh, arterial management program. And that was based on analysis that was done several years ago that really looked at the arterials that had the, the sort of the, the, the perfect storm of lots of traffic, lots of signals, lots of transit use. So you're exactly right. There's many other arterials or segments of arterials in the county that would really benefit from this. So it's, it's never been our intent to stop where the map shows. It's simply this is what we've done to date. Has this been, I, I know this, and I served on the MPO a number of years ago. I haven't been on it in a while, but has this, prior, has this priority in this slide been brought to the MPO? Because I can't imagine that the, nor the representatives from the cities in the northern part of the county would not prioritize this is pretty much immediately right to the top. I don't see what the downside on this would be. Even the pricing that you're saying is not that expensive in the overall scheme of what it costs to build a road. So, uh, Commissioner, I drive home State Road 7 every night to Parkland 
Right. And uh, State Road 7 could definitely benefit <laughs> from, from this. But um, I would also say that our MPO is probably the most forward-thinking in the state about this type of issue. Greg might want to speak to it. But we're actually spending money on this type of effort, whereas most other MPOs are still focused on what road do they widen. So I don't disagree that the vast majority of the busy roads, which is easy to find out in Broward County, should have this system in place. No, 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 I'm not criticizing uh, the MPO, but, but what, I'm, what I'm asking is, has this been presented to them? Have they had a presentation like this? Because I, I don't, following what Vice Mayor Bogan said, this seems like so obvious to me. Yes, um, oh. it, ha it was when these were in construction. Um, we've had a lot of outreach meetings. More recently, though, we did form the TSMNO subcommittee to the RTAC. It's a regional, um, the, you, you, are you familiar with the RTAC? It's, a, it's the Regional Transportation um, Advisory Committee. They, they report to the regional um, MPO groups, and so it includes the Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach MPOs. And so through the TSMNO subcommittee, we're starting to work as a region on how we can start to implement these types of systems to support the regional traffic flows. We are working very closely with the MPO now um, to start to prioritize projects from the District 4 TSMNO master plan. So we're, we're also expecting to see a lot more of these projects start to get programmed um, through these these new relationships we have. But, but So uh, that's great. But like when you have an MPO meeting and you have an agenda that goes out, has there ever like been a discussion item with this slide here that says, here, here's where we stop in the county. Shouldn't we be doing this farther north? I'm not criticizing. Not that specific, no. I, I think it probably makes some I don't think it's a it's a big reach I mean wherever I mean this slide to me I actually thought because it was printed horizontally that maybe it was just misprinted when it came to me so that seems like something that 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 can be done quicker as far as government goes because I you know like we're talking about the 10th Street extension on, on the sawgrass 10th Street which I'm in favor of but even with that, I mean, there are a lot of arterials out in the northern part of the county that would get a huge benefit from this. And the number of $30 million is not that shocking when we know what it costs to expand a roadway. I, I, I just, I cannot, I can't picture this discussion that we're having here having been taken place at the MPO and them not prioritizing that as something. This is lo seems like low-hanging fruit to me. I don't know. Commissioner, I might bring Greg up in a minute, but let me get around first. Commissioner Rich? Yeah, I just, I, I would also, I would also just like to follow up on this map, just because I'm, I'm not quite sure. You have two things here. The orange is existing, and what looks kind of the purplish is future. And there is nothing uh, except for one little tiny piece on, uh, down at uh, Pines, at Pembroke Pines. Pines Boulevard. There's nothing west of University Drive. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So, I mean, do, pe yeah. do people live west of University Drive? I guess would be my question. No, they didn't used to. I know, but they live there now, and we all drive in horrendous traffic every day. And so I'm, I'm kind of shocked that there's nothing west of University Drive. And I think that, you know, some attention needs to obviously be given to that. Oh, absolutely. I, and again, the, the, the map really, if you will, shows phase one. You know, I, I, I would certainly think and, uh, you know, that, that if 
um, the MPO wanted to prioritize expansion of the system to the areas that you guys have been describing. It makes sense because you're going to get similar benefit on similar types of roads. Yeah. If I could just Can say I something sure. to add to the point you, you made. Sure. Um, the stoppage at University Drive is mostly linked to that's where the state roads stop. So the state road system was developed many years ago in the county system when traffic was the way traffic was. Now, in reality, those roads run out to Sawgrass Expressway or I-75. Right. And uh, we've talked in the past, myself and... Uh, Actually, all the way out to US-27. But, but we've talked about doing swaps of roads. And uh, for various reasons, we didn't make any real progress. But it is something I'd love to talk about again because I believe that the state system should be the ones that carry the most traffic and, and find a way that we can put our resources on them when we need to versus to go on a county road, you'd have to find federal money, which is about 25% of what we spend in the county. Not right, Stacey, about 25%? We, um, the Department of Transportation's work program is only a quarter federal funds, but of yeah. course local resources are the other option. On, on those type of roads? Correct. But if they're on the state system, you know, different, different pots of money then. Okay. So, so let me just follow up. So phase two, or what you're talking about. So what is, what is the timeline on that? Where would it go, and how much would it cost? So you're talking and about who pays the, what part of it? Yeah, you're, you're talking about the segments in, I guess, the lavender color on the map. What's the time? Well, I'm talking, yeah, but okay. there's nothing lavender west of university. Oh, I see, oh, I, I see what okay. you're saying. Okay, well, yeah. it, it's... it's um, um, you know, one of the, uh, in the, the next step slide, we're recommending that we continue to expand this system. And we, the department partnering with the county, would say what, is the mo what are the logical next phases to do. So we, we have a template effectively that we're applying to the roads with the fiber optic, the devices leading back to the TMC. So it's a function of if we were to go ahead and say we're going to make it a priority to expand the system, we would then work together to determine what is the implementation plan for the expansion, what roads in what order. Well, we have a, a master plan that does pr uh, propose the next roadways that make sense logically based on level of service, transit use, and in relation to how close it is to the existing system because most of this is run by fiber optics so you have so to kind of be close to an existing line to keep spreading it out from the trunk line um, and that plan was finished this year and we plan to uh, work with the MPO uh, there with the cycle that they have now to um, prioritize projects for the the 2045 LRTP updates and Sorry, um, did you say 2045? Well, that's not our goal, our target year, but... <laughs> Long-range <laughs> long transportation plan. <laughs> now called the, the Metropolitan. Yes. I think what's... What, are you, I'm sorry, are you finished? No, it, it's all right. I, it's not, I mean, I, I, just, I just... Maybe I missed the, uh, the cost. So the cost of phase two that you're anticipating, I'm not sure exactly where it's going, but, but and who pays for that? What, what is the breakdown of the cost yeah. for the next phase? That's, um, so these lavender projects are all funded in the work program right, right, right. now. Okay. Uh, they're all funded. Um, we could easily get back to you with a cost to keep on expanding and looking at other areas. Uh, so, so just let me. So phase two does not include anything west of university, other than there's a little tiny spot down on Pines Boulevard. 
Other than that, there's nothing. Correct. Is that right? Correct. Okay, and that is maybe going out to 2045. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to make a point here, obviously. Yeah. Well, Not funded in the five nothing. years. Okay. Nothing besides this lavender is funded in the five years, but the rest is included in the 2045 plan so that okay. people can start making priorities based mm -hmm. on that. Okay. Okay, and the money, where does the, what's the breakdown of where the money comes from? For this? Most of this was funded using state dollars and some federal funds. And I'll just and the cost of phase two you're anticipating? Uh, you mean beyond the purple and all the That's orange lines here? Whatever phase two is supposed to be. We well, we, we I'll, I'll have to get back to you on on the overall estimate for the rest of the county. Um, we don't have that number right now. Um, I, I could look it up real quick. It's in our master plan. You said existing was thirty million dollar cost of what? You Approximately right. yes. So yes. I just. It's know what base probably twice as much of a network. Probably twice as much. Okay. Yeah. Okay. When you, when you. you say, uh, I'm, I'm going to speak now, uh, there was some follow-up. You're saying you have a plan now that would allow for the expansion, correct? Correct. And my question is, how is this dovetailing with our own plan that, that Broward County put forth a month ago? Um, that, you know, because I think the, you know, when we think about going out for surtax or, or, um, an overall plan. The same questions that are being asked here, we want to make sure that those plans are, are working with our plans, and you know, and that just makes sense to do yeah. that. I'll, so I'll make uh, a comment. I'm sorry. Okay. okay. I can comment on okay. that if All I may. Right. So, you know, I know a major component of the county's plan for the signal system is communications upgrades. Right. And so I right. think that. When, when we look at what are, what are the next logical phases of expanding the active management system, well, a fundamental component of that is communications. And right. so there's going to be an overlap. And so there's going to be roads that are important to the one that makes sense in the other. So well, we and, and it's a huge component of it. Actually, it's the very first part that, we were, that you introduced to us last month. And it was an entire, expanding the entire fiber optic mm -hmm. network yeah. throughout the entire county. Yeah. Because that, that's, you have to do that first. What I think is important for us to know, for voters to know, is how extensive that is that going to be? What, you know, you're wanting to see it get west of, you know, in the west part. All of us want to see, you don't want to see it, all of us want to see it's not stopped at those places. But we, we don't have the full extension or the full idea or the full breadth of what it would be for this entire county to have fiber optic and to have that communication system throughout. That's what we kind of need to see. We need to see that number, and I think voters need to see that number. Because that's one of the, I, with the um, Speak Up Broward, that was number one on their, what they were asking for. But we need to be able to paint that picture. We, we need, and I think we're counting on you all to be able to no, work with us. Um, and I think you already have been. Yeah. You already have been. And would you like to speak to that? Because I, I see you fighting at that. No, I, I won't repeat what you've said already. Um, yes, uh, so a large portion of what we would need to do in the future deals with the communication. Right. And there was lots of fiber in our plan. Right. Um, the coordination on the on the major roads in, in terms of what we would be able to fund locally, uh, along with state and federal funding, assuming everything's prioritized the way that they are, we would be working together to make sure that there is that that connectivity. Because at the end of the day, you want to be able to, if you're going to divert traffic off of, let's say, a major state road onto a county road, you need to know what's going on on that county road before you do that. Um, as well. 
<laughs> right. So um, that's um, we're definitely um, working together on that, and um, it's our intent to, ex to right. expand that. And I think, Commissioner Rich, when you're asking how much is it, who's going to pay for it, I think part of the idea is looking at the surtax because that's the that's the overall investment that it would probably take to do. Otherwise, it's going to take till 2045. Without that, and we, you know, if you if you don't have some some funding stream to do this, or at least tell me if I'm wrong on this. I don't know how you would ever get to expand it to the point that I think our residents are looking for. But if you're going to ask people to vote west of University Drive, I mean, it would seem like no, but they would something might need to be included. Oh, absolutely. But I yeah. think they, what what they're not what we're not seeing here, and I think what you're wanting to see is the is the entire breadth of the of an overall expansion, mm -hmm. not just the the lavender, not just the you know, that little part, but all the way throughout the county. Now, are you, were you able to show us what that, the, is that on your 2045 plan? Yes, we, we do look okay. at the remaining parts of the county. Okay. So right. would we be able to get, see that at some point? Yes. Yes. How soon would we be able to see that? I have it with me now. <laughs> no, well, I, I think what you're asking for is very easy for us to put together. Yes. Okay. Because yes. we have all, all the information we need, and we can show you a plan that will cover the entire county that might make sense in how it should be built in a sense of which is the most important now and then the next most important and the next most important based on traffic and other factors. But we can get you that very quickly, measured in weeks, not months. That's good because, I th you know, if we're going to go forward with this, and I know we haven't decided that yet, but if we are, that is absolutely essential to be able to, to communicate that to, to residents. We have, we have some follow-up questions, Vice Mayor Bogan, then Commissioner Ryan. Um, I asked the question about the map uh, when I started about this um, because we're talking about priorities and um, it would seem to me based on your number 47 timing changes per month saving 224,000 and Mark I think you said that doesn't even include everything you get huge savings every month uh, with this great system and it seems to me that you're lost because we're talking about so many other things. This to me should be a priority, whether it be going out west, whether it going out north. This should be a priority. It's saving money. It's helping current yeah, traffic. And we, we have enough money to talk about expanding the toll road over a billion dollars to do express lanes. We have talking about all this money of expansion, but this is a drop in the bucket compared to everything that's on the plan, and it seems like it would be a great priority. So, you know, we're talking 2045 to me is insane. This thing should be that's something... Just, that's just the name of the plan. They all have to do it every, every couple no, of No, but you're, this is not even on the five-year plan, correct? Be honest, no. Yeah. yeah, it's not even on the five-year plan. And this should be, this should be on the one-year plan. This should be something we should be doing now. Uh, we have a horrible transportation problem. We're talking about doing a tax, and here we're talking about autonomous vehicles. I, I just find it, you know, a little, where's our priorities? I mean, I know that it may come someday, but we need to deal with the problems of today. And, and I think we need to focus on transportation and what is, the, the statistics are phenomenal. I don't understand why we're not doing this now throughout the whole county. It doesn't make sense to me. I'd love Ryan, you to address that. Commissioner Ryan, then Commissioner Holmes. I you want me to address that now? Okay, that's fine. So, hold on. Yeah. how roads are prioritized? One of the reasons we're here is to talk to you about this, right. so you're aware of it as a commission. Um, 
work on the interstate system comes out of one funding bucket and FDOT works with the MPO but we generally speak and prioritize it. Everything else in your county comes through the MPO system and you have several members sitting here and you get to decide where you want to spend the money and DOT follows what you say. Um, so, But I say it on the MPO and this was never brought to me, I don't know about you guys, it was never brought to me on the MPO, never, never discussed. On the prioritization. Right? So the other part that's good news is the more mature the system you have and the longer we're working together, uh, that 47 number is actually a very low number. Uh, we've been working with Palm Beach for longer probably, mm -hmm. and I don't know if our system is a bit bigger. It's smaller. It's smaller, but, but it's up in the 110, 120 signal changes. Uh, what's that per, per day? So over, a month. Month. Yeah. over a month. Yeah. So I, I'm just saying that this is probably not the maximum you will get to see. Um, so I don't think there's anybody sitting here from an expert or a transportation perspective that doesn't think what you're saying is 100% correct. It's just a matter of working it through the system to get it there. And uh, probably one of the biggest issues to affect it would be who's going to maintain it and who's going to pay for maintenance. And it's only in the last year that the DOT has said we're willing to take that on. So, so that Thank maintenance, <laughs> yeah, but you know, we'd have a different conversation if, if right. you had to do it. Right. Uh, so that's probably the key thing, I would think, to, to what stopped it expanding uh, so wholesale. I was actually going to get into that when uh, you kind of piqued my interest when you talked about um, the roadways out west, and that really brought the kind of the, the, the angst with Commissioner Rich and Commissioner Udine. Commissioner Udine represents the northwest, and the southwest is represented by Commissioner Rich, and, and they seem to have been left out. Is it, is it strictly a matter of um, congestion on the roadways or, or the traffic load, or is it also this discussion about whether it's a county road or a state road? If, if you talked about swapping some county roads to become state roads. Uh, what would that really mean? Does that mean it becomes part of the uh, active arterial management program? No, well, I think that's a conversation for another day because there's a lot of issues with transferring a road and the, the comparison of them. But DOT did opportunistically have roads that were under construction that we added state funds to to start building this network and doing it. Am I correct in saying that? We, we, we sat on other projects in some <coughs> cases. Yes. to get the system started. And they were on roads we had identified that were high traffic and had mm -hmm. high congestion issues, these eastern roads. Right, so you have, when you have a high traffic load, I mean, whether it's a county road or a state road, you can, can you commit FDOT funding? No, not state funding. I can't commit state funding. I could only commit federal funding. And I could only commit federal funding if it was prioritized by the MPO. All right, so um, let's just say by way of example, if it's a, it's a state road, is that when... FDOT will step in and do not only whatever the improvements are, but also the operations and maintenance cost? Uh, we wouldn't operate and maintain anything off the state system. But if it was on the state, if it was a state road? Yeah, state road, yeah, we do. We operate and maintain all of it. Well, and, and I want to, I don't want us to leave to think that if you become on that uh, active arterial management system that it's a, you know, panacea because you said, you know, you drive down State Road 7, to go from commercial, commercial 
to Parkland, yeah. and you know what the traffic is like. Yeah, and, and it's a road, but there's lots. The roads in the southwestern part of our county are an absolute, you know, they're, they're clogged. Right. <laughs> uh, but, but having the money, and then we have the plan now, and it's a matter of the money by the, the body that's responsible for prioritizing to look at where it compares to other projects. Yep. And Greg can talk well, about you talk about the money, yeah, and, and Mr. Stewart can come up and he can speak about um, uh, the funding coming out of the uh, MPO. Uh, we talk about a dedicated funding source on, you know, a, a tax initiative, a sales tax initiative, and uh, whether that will go anywhere, we really, really have to have a plan in place before you talk about any kind of funding so that everybody in every community can see right. what the real impact is uh, yeah. for them. Otherwise... You don't get the votes. I mean, it was close enough last time. It was only, you know, successful by two percentage points, and um, I don't, I don't feel so optimistic next time unless we have a, have a clear plan on um, what it's gonna, what it's gonna cost, and if we had the money. Say, for instance, in the best case scenario, we had the money. When would we be able to um, implement like the, the fiber optic system and most of these uh, highly congested roadways throughout the county? Would it take another five years, ten Mark, years? Melissa. The, the oh. design and construction, if you have the money, it, um, it takes about two years, two to three and years. You'd have to move utilities and things. It would probably be longer than two years. Mm -hmm. but, but don't let me give you the impression that the panacea to all traffic problems and traffic will flow smoothly after you implement this. That is not the case, right? This will definitely improve things. But I think you saw a figure for New York eking out 10% congestion relief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no reason to believe we would beat that, right? So you're still going to have problems, but, but this but it allows will, us to manage. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, you'll do a lot better. Yeah. It's a different thing. And, and just lastly, I don't want you to think yeah, that the county that. commission is trying to beat up FDOT. You're our partners. We're we're happy that you're here today. Not at all. Go ahead and grab a soda. <laughs> <laughs> commissioner yeah. Holness. and I'll line yeah. up that fifty million for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's expensive yeah, very expensive soda. <laughs> right. Commissioner Holness, Commissioner Lamarca, then Commissioner Udine. Great presentation. Uh, uh, Secretary Riley uh, and, and, and County Administrator, I'd love for us to get more into these swaps to see where the benefits are and how we move forward on that. That seems like there's some promise there for us to be able to take some money uh, that from elsewhere to put in, in, in the system rather than just from us. Uh, what, what can we do about that? Well, as Jerry indicated, he and I have been having this conversation for quite some time. Not all roads are equal, and I'm going uh, and I think it's it's worth a conversation to be had um, because um, the big issue is O and M. It's uh, it's who's going to operate and maintain it after you're done. And while we uh, we're talking about transferring some roads over to the state, and I do understand um, the roads that he's referring to. It, it makes all the sense um, for uh, for them. For us, we would have to clearly evaluate the condition of those roads and what are the long-term maintenance. They're usually the older roads, and with that comes some other issues. So I'm not, we're not totally opposed to that, and what savings you generate on one end, you lose on another end. So we have to make sure that it um, that it makes it, that it makes sense. Okay. If it were easy, we'd have jumped on it. The second thing I want to add is that we have been taking advantage of uh, F. Dot Road. They have been very generous um, 
by allowing us, whenever they're doing road improvements, to lay our fiber along with their fiber to help with the with the with the light. So we've been doing that on our own roads. We do it on their roads and vice versa. So there's um, we are incrementally, very slowly though, uh, trying to get this fiber all over the county where the, oppor the opportunity exists. But if you were if you had a plan where that's what you're going to do, you're going to go in and you're going to um, 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 reconstruct these roads uh, and lay this fiber in a way that it's, it's protected long term um, and we know where they are and they are all connected. Um, that's, it's going to take money. Um, it was in our plan um, to do. We were working um, with um, FDOT because so many of our roads intersect. It just, it just makes sense for, uh, for us to do that. But he, he said it, it's the O&M. You can get money out of the MPO to um, actually construct it, but somebody in the end, whether it's a county, city, or a, um, uh, the state, will have to operate and maintain it. And that's usually where we struggle with pulling down federal money. And that's why the surtax was such an important element. Okay. So we have one more presentation to go. So to, 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 to go back to the surtax, uh, if you looked at where the heavier votes were, it wasn't in the West. Uh, and, and I think partly because they, th they thought that this was only going to benefit people who ride the bus. I mean, I've heard, I heard that many times, even from colleagues sitting on the MPO, uh, that, well, it's not going to benefit me in Coral Springs or me out here. Uh, and, and, and putting this in the plan and really emphasizing it for the future, when we go out for this additional penny, because I think we need to. If we don't, even with what we're doing here incrementally, it's going to take a longer time. And, and, and by the time we catch up, we're going to be back where we were practically. Uh, so I think we need to really move on, on, on this penny and ensure that all the folks out west who think that they won't benefit will understand that when they drive east, if there's less traffic on the road, if the signalization is there that benefits them, then they're going to benefit from it so that they can buy into the system. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Lamarca? Um, to follow Commissioner Ryan's uh, point, but I'm not going to offer you a soda. I, I appreciate the, the fact that <laughs> I appreciate the, the fact that uh, we have this relationship, we have this partnership, and to, uh, Secretary Riley, to you specifically, um, and your predecessor was one heck of a secretary as well, especially being that he's just down on the other side of the board, I believe, still. Um, but we're doing a lot of great projects together, and I, and I, I want to I say thank you. I appreciated the, the A1A project after the, uh, the uh, beach issue after Hurricane Sandy and all, all the different projects that we're doing. Um, I'm not going to make a plug for the wall on 95 uh, by John Knox, but maybe I just did. Um, however... The, the only thing I would say is if we're tying this all in and Commissioner Holness, um, he wants to get this penny done so we can get to the next penny, I think. But um, <laughs> we just we need to have a we need to have a plan. I mean, and that plan has to be just like what the school board did. And whether whether you think it worked out in the end like it should and it's still in, in progress, I think. But every every school, uh, every parent who dropped their kid off at any school, uh, elementary, middle or high school, there was a list. There was a, there was a poster of what would be done to that school. Um, 
I don't think I had a time. I don't think I had a construction schedule, which which makes it okay. But the the reality is, if you're going to tell somebody in in Lighthouse Point, Pompano Beach, Deerfield Beach, all the way up the East Corridor or the West Corridor, uh, where, where you guys are, that we're going to do A, B, and C project. Okay, now I now I know every time I spend a dollar, it's going to be another penny, and those projects as well as uh, things downtown, circulators, and whatever whatever else we get to. I think once we have that together, then people can really vote for something. But and we did that last time. I'm not saying we didn't do it last time, but now we have to tell them why we're asking not for a half a penny, but for a penny, countywide. So I mean, I think our our goal in the next uh, or the goal, if this is going to be something that is supported, is that we have a somewhat of a uh, a long-range plan and however long that penny is is asked for I, I agree and I think that's why we we're asking if you can give get us those plans that show us the um, sooner than later last we'll wrap this up and then we're gonna, going to do one more presentation okay. just quickly Gretchen when you gave us the overlays at the last workshop when we talked about this was this active arterial management is that one of the <clears> projects <throat> that we had on it uh, the fiber and the adaptive signal control uh, as Bertha right, was rem mentioning earlier, that. That those are the things that are needed to do this, but no, these actual projects are not included in the plan. Okay, because, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of getting lost in acronyms and FDOT versus who's paying this and that, but really our collective, everyone around this table, we're just working to make sure that John Q. Public gets from area A to area B as best as possible. And this is something that is probably latest and greatest or later and greater and I think like you said I mean this is a benefit for the entire county this should be this should be I would focus the pe if you were going to do a penny tax I would focus it around this because just looking at this slide and saying that this is the addition some of the additional thing I think that's a huge selling point to the public in Broward County in general I can't understand and keep up with all you guys on what the acronym is and who's paying for this and the 2045 plan and this and that but and and our residents never are going to keep up with that but they will understand because I'm sitting here I, I'm thinking of traffic light synchronization when I look at this and I know this is way beyond this and people don't even think we have the traffic light synchronization done correctly Although I think we're making a much better job at that because I was on sample the other day and it actually worked, but uh, so that's good. So, but this is the type of project that can help push us across the goal line if this is something that we're going to pursue, uh, because this seems to touch everybody in the entire county. If we get all greens, it's working, right? <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to go to the next presentation. I think that was a very good, very good presentation. Thank you so much. That was a very good discussion, and I think you heard from a lot of us what we're, what we're kind of looking for to take this further. Okay. Um, next presentation is by? Yeah, we're uh, together. Yes, yes, together. Okay. Um, so David, Jeff and David. Yes, there we go. We've prepared a, a short presentation okay. on transit modes and transit markets um, that we want to provide to you. I'm going to turn it over the meeting in a minute here to Dave, who's going to talk about the markets and how do you serve those type of markets. I'll come back and talk about various transit modes, many of which you already have in the county, others which have been talked about or, or been in the planning process. And then Dave will come back up and talk a little bit about the FTA project development process, which is the federal way of getting money for these projects. And probably most importantly, then we'll open it to questions and try to answer whatever questions you have. We can't guarantee we can answer everything, but we will do our best. So with that, I'll turn it over to Dave. Um, so we'll talk about markets. All right. Good afternoon. 
Um, we we focus on on in transit planning. We focus on on transit on the actual travel markets. These are the actual people using the system. Uh, I know in in some cases in transit planning we get caught up. We talk about the modes first, but in transit planning we generally try to talk about the travel markets. What are the travel markets um, that are being targeted? So in this slide shows um, an example set of what what common travel markets are. Um, I've got seven of them here. Um, I should point out that there's lots of overlaps between them. There is some gray area. Um, and if I if you gave an empty slide like this to 10 transit planners, you probably would have 20 different versions um, of the different markets. But um, but but they do describe a, a, a good sense of the different um, of the different uh, uh, of, of the different ones. Um, they're distinguished. A, in three different ways. Uh, one is trip length, um, and again, these these figures are very relative uh, and and not to scale. So, trip length longer the bar is longer the trip length. Um, the size is from an average daily standpoint. Uh, how many how many generally how many overall trips happen? Uh, maybe not transit, but just overall number of trips happen in an average weekday, uh, and then the trip frequency. Um, and then I have some examples of where they're currently served by. Um, the first market is mobility dependent. Uh, these are this is generally characterized by um, uh, folks traveling uh, who who may live in households that do not have a do not have a vehicle, um, uh, and they are they are a very strong transit market uh, because they don't ha have a car. Uh, local trip making is very common as well. That's probably the mo the most dominant travel type of trip made uh, in any area. Um, these are typically home to shopping trips. These are generally around you know three to six mile trips. Uh, the commuter trip is is generally fo folks going to work and back. Um, those are typically longer, uh, some of the longest trips that that folks make throughout the day. Uh, intercity trips uh, are are, be as it says, in between intercity. Um, in this in this region, because we have uh, the three different uh, three different uh, counties, it can get a little confusing between commuter and intercity. Intercity is typically viewed as an all day market, not a just a peak period market. Um, and so commuter really focuses on what happens in the a.m. peak period, p.m. peak period. Intercity is the travel throughout the day, um, even in the midday periods. Um, another common market is first mile, last mile that transit can serve. Um, these are just getting you from your from uh, um, from either your, your parking space to your final destination, or from a transit station or a transit stop to your final destination. Uh, tourist and visitor, obviously, um, uh, Broward County has a has a pretty strong tourist and visitor market. Um, I've got a couple examples there from the airport to the port or hotels to beaches or other entertainment venues. Um, and then there's special event, um, special events from either sporting events or, or different types of festivals. I'm just trying to give an oversense there. Um, and, and we do focus on the travel markets because, like I said, the, tra the transit modes that are used uh, and constructed um, <clears throat> serve these travel markets, and the travel markets utilize these transit modes. So. Um, depending on the type of transit market or markets that you're targeting with any particular project that impacts, um, can influence rather, um, decisions on mode, your station stop spacing, vehicle capacity, and your operating plans. And certain, some modes are certain better suited to certain types of travel markets. So with that introduction, I want to pass it back over to Jeff. Yeah, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about the different transit modes. And the first couple of slides here I'll go through quickly because they're sort of an overview. And what we're going to focus on today is you know, various bus modes as well as rail modes. And, and the bus can be anywhere from a paratransit service all the way to a, you know, a BRT system, which operates more regionally and provides, you know, uh, higher speeds uh, like an express bus. So, and everything in between. And, and this county has a lot of bus service 
that provides uh, benefits to a lot of these different types of, of modes. And as we look at um, rail, um, you know, looking at rail, that varies again. Everything from what we'll say is inner city, and I know there's a lot of you know, difference of opinion what that is, but to me, in most planners, inner city would be an Amtrak type service or soon to be Brightline, which will serve multiple cities. Commuter rail, which is typically, as Dave said, you know, it can serve multiple cities, but it's a more daily or more service that people use every day to and from work, um, like a tri-rail type service. And then there are, are light rail, which is a you know, smaller vehicle um, that, that accommodates a variety of trips, and then streetcars, which are sort of, in my mind, the smallest of all types of rail vehicles. So just to focus on a few, uh, and let me start off with what we've termed here as heavy rail. I've combined inner city and commuter rail just for ease of, of reference here. Um, and what, what, what are the attributes of that type of service? Again, it's on a fixed alignment, as all rail systems are. So they, once they're installed, they're, they're fixed in, in their location. Um, they are always on a dedicated right-of-way, so they're not in mixed traffic. They're operating in, in the right-of-way, such as the FEC right-of-way or along tri-rails right away. And again, they look to provide that regional and commuter service to a larger distance, a large volume of people operating anywhere from a 10, you know, a 20-minute headway um, upwards of, you know, uh, hourly service. And stations for inner city services are typically 10 to 30 miles apart. Again, looking to um, access less locales but bigger locations with downtowns in the cities. And then commuter services are typically stations two, three, five miles distant, depending on population and, and destinations that they're serving. Oops. Trying to operate two things here. It's not working well for me. Light rail systems, um, which many of you may be familiar with, uh, again, offer you know, a fixed alignment on rail, um, most of which, and I, when I talk about these different systems, I'll talk typical operating environments. That doesn't mean that there aren't varieties out there that sort of blend between different systems, but typically they are on dedicated right-of-way, which means they have their own right-of-way. They don't, they don't mix with traffic, except for at grade crossings, potentially. Um, they operate at higher speeds, and then these vehicles, you know, have a capacity of around 175 to 200 persons per car. They can be coupled into multiple consists. You could have one, two, three, four of these cars coupled together to carry higher volumes of passengers. Um, and they operate you know, um, with limited interaction with autos. And some examples of these that, that are somewhat on the newer side would be in Denver, Charlotte, um, Salt Lake City, Minneapolis, are all systems that have uh, been developed in the last 10 years or so using light rail technology to provide uh, the service. I'm going to interrupt yep. for okay. one second, yep. only because I want to try to direct this to where I think the commission was trying to go. Okay, there. sure. And it was, and a lot of us were, one, were interested in light rail, yep. but looking at options, what kind of options there were. And we had heard of rubber tired ones, we'd heard of a number of different ones. That's, I think, is where, if, tell me if I'm wrong with everybody, but I think this is where a lot of us were wanting to, to hear about, because that was one of the, that's one of the things we were kind of wanting to, you know, investigate. Sure, and I don't have that on slides, but I could definitely talk to that. Um, okay, although, Mr. Chair, the, yeah. uh, I don't think that light rail is rubber tire, that would no. more be well, the streetcar. Okay, and, and between those two yeah. is where I mean, probably the differences in light rail that you're thinking about are the propulsion systems. Um, traditionally, they are propelled electro with electric service to an overhead catenary system, which is 
a, a wire above the vehicle. There's a pantograph that comes off the vehicle that makes contact with that wire, and that wire provides the power to the, the propulsion system to have the system move. There are a number of systems out there, a lot are in their infancy, which use what we call off-wire technology, which is some type of battery or capacitor system, um, wherein the vehicles are charged at stations and at other key locations along the alignment. They then traverse the alignment without having that overhead wire, um, and, and they use you know, that capacitor and battery uh, to, to uh, propel the vehicle. Some of the problems with that are, and uh, many of uh, European cities are using that, um, some of the problems that have uh, particularly related to here in Fort Lauderdale and Broward County is that when you use air conditioning with those systems, they tend to really draw down the power quickly, requiring a lot of charging stations, which requires the vehicles to sit in a station longer to get that charge. So there are complexities with that off-wire system. What we're seeing in the United States a lot is a combination of an overhead catenary that has some off-wire capability. So if they need to cross a certain type of bridge, or they're near an airport where having catenary systems up in the air would be a problem, that there's a short distance that they operate in that system. The other problem with the off-wire technologies is if you have to climb, and not so much a problem here with hills, um, but the, the uh, ability to climb uh, different grades becomes more complex because that power draws well. There are also light rail systems that operate with diesel power engines similar to buses. Um, New Jersey has such the system. I think Austin is working on one um, that is a similar sized vehicle, has no electric system, so there's no power, no wires necessary, and operates on a clean diesel fuel bus like a bus engine would operate as well. Um, there are some other technologies in Europe that are being looked at and, and in Asia. One is a system that draws power from the ground, which has a, a, a power con, uh, conductor below grade. So you can walk over it. It's only energized when the vehicle goes on it. Again, these are systems that are pretty much in their infancy um, and are used in areas, and I think the one comment about Copenhagen with everybody on their bikes is not Florida. Um, we have the same situation when we're dealing with rail vehicles here and the need to air condition these vehicles. As we all know in our houses, air conditioning has a big draw. Same thing in a, in a transit vehicle. It's a big item to deal with. Does that? That's, that's helpful. Okay, that, and that's most of the type of you know sort of technology well I, I do have a few examples here of some recent projects um, from different parts of the country um, that are noted I won't go through all of them but you have it all in front of you but for example the purple line which is a new system that just started construction in Maryland um, it's a brand new system so it's not an extension of anything and um, that is about a 16 little over 16 mile corridor um, which received about less than 40% federal funding for that program, and that's being to, that was under a P3, so it's a public-private partnership, wherein a concessionaire and a contractor came in, provide a fixed price to deliver the product and operate it for 20 to 30 years, and then revert it back over. Um, University Link in, in Seattle is another program. It's uh, about to start service, or I think it actually has started service uh, recently, and again, that's about a three-mile uh, project, almost $2 billion in cost. If anybody's familiar with Seattle, everything in Seattle's in tunnels because of the narrowness of, of the, or the, the, the geography they have there with the mountains on one side and the sound on the other. So it's a rather expensive area to, to do projects. 
And then the Blue Line extension in Charlotte is a recent one. Again, about 9.3 miles in size. And that did receive a, about a 50% federal share under the New Starts program for funding. So moving on to, to modern streetcars, um, there's a number of examples uh, that have been recently put in place throughout the country. And again, this is a fixed alignment in that it runs on steel rails. So once we put it in the ground, it's pretty much there. Um, that's a good thing in some respects, and, and, and doesn't, but it doesn't offer a lot of flexibility. Typically, streetcar operations, um, unlike light rail operations, they do operate in mixed traffic in the street. So we embed the rail in the, in the roadway. They operate with cars. Cars can be behind the vehicle, in front of the vehicle. It just works in that mixed traffic. Um, it does get typically uh, transit signal priority. So as it approaches a signal that's green, the signal stays green to allow the vehicle to go through. It may get a priority if it's sitting at a red signal that it gets to go first before traffic, general traffic is allowed. So trying to give some benefit, if you will, or some advantage to the transit vehicle. The difference between this and light rail is it's generally a smaller vehicle. Um, it's generally narrower and shorter, uh, carrying less people. And while they can be coupled together, in many cases, they're not coupled more than you know, two vehicles at a time. And the reason for that is similar to here in Fort Lauderdale or downtown areas, you have tight turning radiuses on streets. The longer the vehicle, the harder that becomes to make those turns and you start going into opposing traffic or requiring a lot of additional right away to do that. One of the benefits that, that or one of the attributes of a, of a streetcar system is you don't think of it as a scheduled system like a light rail or commuter rail, you say to yourself, you know, it, the train comes uh, 20 after the hour and a quarter of the hour, so I know I need to be there for that. These are typically run frequent enough that you walk up to a station and, and you know within the next few minutes the train's going to appear, so I don't have to think about what time I'm getting there. It's a much more uh, robust system, if you will. And it tends to... It can be seven, it can be 10, most are not, not more than 10 to 12 minutes, and depending on the time of day. Late at night, those type of things, it will taper down, but during its peak use, most operations are seven to 10, 12 minutes. Um, that's not to say there aren't more you know, robust systems throughout the country. The, the other attribute that, over, that modern streetcar has that typically does not is stations are located about every quarter mile, every two to three blocks. And we can think of uh, a modern streetcar as akin to a local distributor bus. Its purpose is to distribute a lot of people, a lot of stops, um, and it will not stop. You don't stop a streetcar at every station, only if somebody's there at the platform to, to get on the vehicle or somebody's calling for a stop in the vehicle, like many buses. So it does have some efficiencies that happen there. And going back to what Dave was talking about markets, this is very good for serving that first and last mile, getting people between one service to another, distributing them in a downtown situation. Some recent examples, Kansas City um, has, has a very successful streetcar. Um, uh, Atlanta has instituted implemented one over the last year and a half or so. Cincinnati, Dallas, Salt Lake, and many of these aren't, you know, the New York Cities, the LAs, the Chicago's, these are more, you know, or smaller size cities um, that have this type of operation. So just looking at a few of these, Cincinnati, as I said, um, recently opened, um, and that is a new system. Actually, all of these are new. They're not extensions that I've pointed out in this slide. But what you'll notice is there's a much lower share of federal uh, financial aid to those programs or financial assistance in the, in the benefit of them. 
typically we're looking at 20, 25% federal share when financing a, a new streetcar. Uh, and those programs, as you can see, are smaller in length and typically less expensive than, than the light rail systems themselves. The, the next, and, and again, as, as with light rail, the propulsion systems are the same. We have overhead catenary systems. Typically, it's one small wire because, again, it's drawing less power than a light rail vehicle. And there are off-wire technologies, combinations thereof. I don't know of a diesel powered streetcar system in this country so I, you know, I'm sure it could be done but I don't but I don't know of it being done um, then we go looking at a rapid bus or a BRT type service uh, using rubber tire that's where we go to the rubber tire and I know there are let me step back to some streetcar applications um, there are rubber tired most people consider them a trolley um, a trolley bus almost but they do make streetcars that look very much like a traditional streetcar, but do have a rubber tire application, so it operates more like a bus. Um, as they do with BRT vehicles, they hide the rubber tires to make it look like it's a light rail or a streetcar. So it's all about perception and what people are looking at. Um, but bus rapid transit service, you know, the benefits. On the bus rapid transit side of things, you know, one of the benefits there is it's flexible. If it's not working, you can move it to a different you know, corridor. Um, it's easier to implement uh, services to try them out, to get them going. Um, but as with streetcars, you do want signal priority. We do want to give benefit to those vehicles. Uh, BRTs can operate in their own right of way um, or in mixed traffic as, as a streetcar would. Um, they do have a lower initial cost for implementation than any of the rail alternatives because you're not putting in as much infrastructure but they do generally cost more to operate in the long run and per, per passenger, and I'll come to that in a moment. And then, you know, again, being flexible in how you operate this, you, know, you can serve a commuter market with a BRT, you can serve a local distribution market as well. It's got a lot of uh, applicability throughout the transit network when you're using a bus type vehicle. I'll entertain a question here. Okay, uh, question on BRT and let me, Drew, warning, warning, wave, wave. <laughs> they, you can always watch the county commission do a debate. You just can't talk about it to ourselves. Are, are, are they going to be asked back in to comment about other things? Because oh, yeah. if, if, yes, if so I just have one question for him. Okay. Yeah. On the wave. Okay, the door is closed. It can be because they can watch a debate. They just can't participate in it. Um, I, I I advise Chris Walden. I would I'm going to walk outside. I would prefer. I I don't like part of the meeting moving outside. They were invited to a meeting. That's that's why I thought if this would be. I'm sorry. If this would be the last item and they could oh, just go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I would just prefer that. All right. Let's have to bring him back in. Sorry about that. I didn't realize that was what your question was going to be. Always. Okay. Sorry.
Yeah, we only got a couple right. minutes. Okay. I mean, we're, 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 we need to finish this. I'll go, I'll, I'll go quick. Yeah, okay. No problem. Yeah, I'm going to. I would, my apologies. I should have I just said finish the presentation. I'm from, I'm from New York. I can talk fast. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Keep going? Yeah, okay. Keep going. And just a couple of quick examples on, on BRT type systems. And I think what's important from this chart is, you know, you'll see they run from $150 million to $30 million on a system. You know, the, the more expensive ones operate and dedicate it right away. So they had to acquire right away and build infrastructure. You know, the, the one in uh, El Paso was simply just some uh, transit signal priority and some other improvements to, to improve the bus operating condition. So just a, a quick comparison on this slide from light rail, streetcar, and bus. You know, it talks about what markets are served by those different uh, modes. We talk a little bit about some of the characteristics, both systems and right-of-way, and then development impacts. Typically, fixed guideway with rail at a fixed location the development community feels good about developing around those because they know it's a big investment that's there to stay. There has been hesitancy nationally to BRT projects. That doesn't mean that there aren't a number of projects in the country that have strong development associated with them, but far fewer and less than it does with uh, fixed guideways such as either streetcar or light rail. And then from a, a costing perspective, Clearly, the more infrastructure needed for light rail and streetcar is more costly to implement than a BRT system, but there are operational cost savings. The more people you can carry with less operators and connected vehicles, the trip, the cost per trip goes down and the maintenance goes down. Um, so generally over the longer period, it is less expensive to operate these rail options than bus. The vehicles last longer, there's less operators per passenger uh, and other items as far as fueling and all of that. So that comes into play as well. Importantly throughout this, you know, a transit network is not one mode. As Dave said, there's a lot of markets to be served. Certain modes serve certain markets better. You can't be everything to everybody or you have really a bad system. So you need to look at this as a network, which the region has been doing, to develop all of these modes to develop an integrated system uh, of transit. Connectivity is very important. The MPO has been doing a lot of work on mobility hubs where the different modes would come together allowing you to transfer because you can't serve, again, every market by every vehicle or every mode. Those locations become excellent for economic development opportunities because you have great accessibility and the MPO uh, mobility hub program is an excellent way to help advance these programs. With that, I'll turn it over to Dave to talk quickly about some of the FTA capital programs. Yeah, um, uh, Jeff Slides mentioned a, a, a couple, a lot of different example projects with federal shares. Um, in most of those projects, um, a lot of the federal share came through FTA's capital investment grant program. It's the dominant federal program to fund what we call cap fixed guideway transit projects, which could be anything from the BRT all the way up to um, rail and, and heavy rail programs. There are two types of projects. Um, new starts are typically larger projects, at, you know, over 300 million. Uh, small starts, um, which is what the um, uh, the Wave project was was in, went through the process as as a small start under 300 million. Um, it's a discretionary program, makes it a unique program in the federal budget. Um, the projects are rated by the FTA throughout the project uh, uh, planning process, um, and those ratings are submitted to Congress annually. Um, and as and the process, as I have on the next slide, 
Um, I'm not going to get into the little details, but it, uh, the project planning process uh, involves the planning, the environmental, uh, public outreach, uh, and, and design, and then, um, and then it ends with a funding agreement between the FTA and the project sponsor to build a project for a specific mode, specific alignment stations, um, and an operating plan. Typically takes 48 years to go through that process depending on various factors. Um, the last slide just showing some, some of the metrics that go into the FTA overall rating. There is a um, project justification, which is the blue boxes, and then there's a local financial commitment rating, which is the green boxes. They get averaged together to make the project rating. This is the rating that FTA provides to Congress and, and uh, publishes every year. Okay. Well, thank you. And I think, this, I think the last part, the last part having to do with the financing and all that is what we're needing to look at because we, we, when we're trying to decide with our overall plan, what, what you know, where we're going with it, and what kind of, you know, what if we're, if we're doing light rail, if we're doing streetcar, whatever, that determines where some of the funding comes from. So I'm going to entertain. I'm gonna, we're going to go around once at the, and then I'm going to call it a, a workshop of this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask. I'm we not ask okay, we're going to stay out of the way of <laughs> conversation right now because we'll never get out of here, and we got to get it back. We've got another. We're, we have to go back into the other room. Does anybody have any questions? Tim, do you have a question? Tim? Commissioner Ryan? In the um, inception of a, of a rail program here in Broward County, we talked about um, operating with uh, streetcars and, and the, um, in the way, which is you know, approximately two and a half miles, and then doing extensions, which are, are subject to discussion as to where they would go, but connecting between a streetcar and a light rail. Now, you said something about how um, they can be compatible, but but they are different. Now, is my understanding that with regard to the to the wave, those vehicles were streetcars that uh, in the um, a design uh, they were light rail compatible. Are you familiar with that? Well, yeah. I mean, the vehicles could operate on the same corridor and all of that. The difference really between streetcar and light rail, other than the vehicle size, which is really not a deterrent, right? It's how it operates and. You, know, you could run a, a vehicle, they do this in, in New Jersey, they run a light rail vehicle that comes in from 20 miles out, it then gets it runs in city streets through Jersey City and into Hoboken, and then people transfer. But again, the caution there is those bigger vehicles have different turning radius requirements and a lot of requirements you have to be very careful about, and they've even run into problems in that system because the block lengths that, that in Jersey City, so when they have, if they have too big a vehicle and it stops at a station, it blocks two intersections, which creates traffic nightmares. So there's a lot of considerations. It's not to say that some one of these vehicles is not interchangeable. You know, you can get streetcars that can be coupled together that make a longer consist of vehicles to carry larger volumes of people. But again, when you get into a downtown area, that causes a certain amount of operational problem from turning and interaction with traffic. And so when you, you were making a comparison between light rail and streetcars and then the bus service, and in the bus service, I mean, there's many different um, variations. Uh, one that we've been talking about is uh, a rapid bus service that um, the bus would make more limited stops. You would have kind of a raised platform. Um, is that what you were envisioning when you were talking about this bus service? Yeah, that could be the type two. It's, you're right. Limited stop, which, again, allows to move through faster through a corridor. Level boarding makes it quicker. So there are a lot of similarities in a bus system that you can do with a streetcar or light rail. Again, it's that rubber tire versus this fixed guideway, and typically it's propulsion system. So 
Right, and with that rapid bus service, how do you deal with, I mean, you have the congestion on the roadways. If we were going to run these, this rapid bus service on US-1 or University or 441, I think these are already congested roadways or Oakland Park Boulevard. How do you deal with having, you know, I guess at some period of time, you have a, a, a dedicated lane for this rapid bus service. How's that going to operate? Otherwise, you're going to be going as slow as everything else. Uh, well, and, and that, that's a, a choice that has to be made in looking at the operations of the bus and the tr- roadway traffic. In those locations where you're not really able to get additional right-of-way because it's such a constrained area, you either remove a lane of traffic for part of the day or all the day and allow buses and transit vehicles to operate in it, give them transit signal priority, or you leave them in traffic and give them priority, queue jumping, and other techniques that help speed it along. Don't provide an unlimited benefit, but there is a a significant benefit to that. But you lose a lane of traffic if you take a lane of traffic. Right. So I I think for our members, when you you look at the the huge cost for rail, um, and then you can can measure it against some kind of a a hybrid approach where you have some light rail or streetcar and then connecting up with some rapid bus service, I think this was kind of what they were looking at in Miami-Dade County when they realized they just didn't have enough money to, to run the rail lines everywhere that they had promised it when uh, they had that half-penny sales tax. So um, if indeed we do go forward and we want to reach out into these areas like what Commissioner Udine and, and uh, Commissioner Rich say, I mean, maybe, you know, you have some kind of a, a rail service to some point and then you have a rapid bus service where you can move people if, in fact, the studies show that enough persons would be interested in rapid bus service. But anyone else like to speak to Yes. Them? Commissioner Holness, then Commissioner Geller. Yeah, quickly, on uh, current conditions, can you explain what, what, what uh, it, that entails? Uh, current conditions? And ranking uh, individual criteria ratings. Uh, current, cri- current conditions uh, involve my memory serves uh, general conditions of the operating uh, characteristics is the is the is the fleet uh, your bus fleet or your rail fleet that that you are currently operating um, in in state of good repair um, and also and and also whether or not the project um, uh, what percentage of the project can, um, would grow the operating budget uh, there's there's a few more criteria there but um, those are the ones and the intent there is that the FTA doesn't want to fund projects yeah. to a system that is in need of really being upgraded because they know a lot of expenses upcoming to upgrade equipment or other facilities. So they want to make sure you're operating well today before you jump into more. And, and where in this criteria is it facilitating the current users? Is there is there a part of this that deals with that? Yeah, um, the current ridership um, can be can be used to help um, part of the project, the blue boxes. Um, existing ridership can help quite a bit in um, – in that rating process, if you have strong, uh, strong ridership, then you can, you can get very good ratings for, for at least three of those six uh, blue boxes, um, and then if you build upon that with additional ridership, forecast that and and make ratings even better. Anybody else? Yes, Mr. Geller. Thank you. Uh, I guess this question to Miss Henry. Um, I'm just curious. I think that uh, I share some of what. Commissioner Ryan said concerns. Um, I absolutely think that we need more mass transit, including in the uh, downtown Fort Lauderdale area. I remain open, however, as to what that should be. Um, I know that at some point in the near future, we are going to be formulating our 
uh, plan, and last time we saw this, I thought I was very clear in saying that I needed to see something that did some things for West Broward, including a some sort of high-speed east-west connector, um, which I think can probably be done fairly easily along the 595 uh, interstate using a form of high-speed BRT because we already have high-speed lanes. As of today, I haven't seen any of anything, and I, my question to you, Administrator, is if we're going to be voting on this at some point in the near future, at what point in time? I know several of us have raised concerns. When are we going to have a workshop that instead of hearing from all of our wonderful experts, we, the commissioners, can talk about the proposal, and when are we going to have a plan I know we've seen the initial one, but as you know, there's been a lot of concerns with that. When are we going to have something in front of us that we're going to be voting on? Because, you know, we're less than a year from the next election. So the, um, the plan that you saw initially that sparked um, the conversation was an attempt to, okay, uh, to... Uh, project what we heard. So there there were extensions out west. There were a lot of uh, additional amenities that affected the western part of the county. I guess I'm, we're going to have to sit with you again on, on that, um, number one. Number two, there were, because the wave was very... Um, much in the, dis uh, in the discussion at the time, uh, we began to have, as the board, there were lots of questions on, on um, the things that we talked about here today. We wanted, if we're going to come back to you to have another conversation, if there is not a good understanding of what all of these modes accomplish, we're gonna be back in this cir circular discussion again. I, I, I feel like um, you were right to ask. So help us understand how all of these work. So we're happy to come back to you again, and I'll work with the mayor um, to do that, to say, okay, um, based on what we heard, what, um, um, like we said, in our plan, we had a lot of, of um, fiber to begin to do something to really eke out as much efficiency out of the system that we have. Um, that, uh, yeah, there was definitely, exp I'll, you know, I'll, I'll spend a lot of time. I think we'll, we'll circle back after a discussion with the mayor, and maybe the next time it'll be a lot more fruitful because we can really start to differentiate between the modes and what they are designed to accomplish. Um, and and maybe we'll know more about what is really going on with Brightline um, and how it could affect the Coastal Link. I mean, that was one of the conversations that, I mean, issues that came up. So there's a lot of discussion out there, and I just think it's important that we all understand what each does, and then um, we can tweak it however the board likes. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Okay, I'm, uh, let's, let's adjourn today, and thank you all no, very uh, much for yeah. 
all your presentations. You, you guys did a great job. You not adjourning, right? We're, uh, well, you're saying adjourning the workshop, and now we're going yes. back to pick up from Correct. the recess. Okay. Yes. Stop it. <laughs> Is there another word? No, no.